Oh man, hey there folks, what do you know, it's the Uticast episode 276. Joining us this week as we count down to election day, uh, we have Luke Riddell of Elected News making his debut on the podcast. Wow, two weeks in a row with brand new guests in the pod. What's going on here? I don't understand. Uh, also this week, boy, we, we try our best to break down what started off as a maybe a discussion about the debate and then uh, the debate last week and then Trump and COVID and boy, we, we'll delve into all of that. Uh, also this week we have... Uh, We'll talk about a new segment, The Internet Remains Undefeated. Uh, we will talk about history lessons. We'll talk about the Doomsday Report, Tasmanian Devils, uh, Subway, Spotify picks, well, a bunch of mailbag questions, all of this, folks, and so much more. As always, we are happy to have you here on the Unicast. Oh, Sometimes we do the show and I have to get the stories ready and I'm like, boy, I'm not sure if I'm looking for like sometimes I'll look at the news and I'm like, yeah, this is gonna be good content this week for us to like chat it up and have a good discussion about. Last week I was looking through the stories, I'm like, these are all good stories last week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this week I'm like so I'm like not looking forward to like talking about the news necessarily this week. It for, feels Yeah, for sure. Uh, so I'm definitely gonna stall. <laughs> Welcome back to the show, folks. It's the Uticast episode uh, 276. Uh, We are, by the time people hear this, I guess it'll be 28 days away from Election Day. Mm, That's true, too. That's true. We are very close. Uh, And joining us this week, uh, Luke Riddell from Elected News. He's all over the place. He's been on Healer Show. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, I see him everywhere. He's everywhere all of a sudden, and uh, we've been sort of... Beating around back and forth for the last two weeks to have him on. I feel like we're close enough now to the election. We'll probably talk mostly about Brindisi and Claudia Tinney because he's been following that election good, uh, good. cycle a lot. So, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, I mean, and also, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about this new laptop, which is funny because uh, since I've gotten it, I feel like I've been kind of gun-shy to use it. Is that weird? Uh... Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> it's a little weird. weird. Be, yeah. like, I feel like I gotta like. I'm like, oh, I gotta save it. I don't want to be using it constantly all the time. Mm. Trying to stop yourself because you know what happens once you lean in. Be there all the time. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, can I tell you a funny story about the new laptop? Always. Okay. So you'll notice that the re- the the listeners can't mm. see it. On the computer, there's a little fancy looking little dongle piece that connects to the side of the laptop that has right. all the. Yeah, yeah. The cords and such because Extra Apple stuff for them to sell you. Yeah, yeah, because Apple's like a scam with all their like cords and stuff. Correct. So uh, you know, I went to the store and I bought this this little dongle to attach to the side, and I you know I got all the model numbers written down. I got all the names of all the stuff. I want to make sure, right? <laughs> and I I go to the store. I go to Best Buy. I buy it. I come home, and for some reason, it's not fitting in. The, the the slots right? sure and i'm looking at it i'm going okay i don't want to like i feel i know this is the right piece right i don't want to sit here and be jamming this piece onto the the props of my brand new computer, the expensive new computer. <laughs> yeah yeah so i can't believe i did this 
So I took my laptop and went back to Best Buy so I could have one of the folks there wow. help me out because I was a maniac. Fair enough. Shout out to Johnny Jokes for helping me out. Oh, uh, see, when you got in-house people, too. You know? I didn't know he was there. Mm. My plan was initially just to go up there and be like, look, man, I bought this thing. I don't know if it fits. I'm not feeling good about jamming this piece into my computer willy-nilly. Right. Just take a look at this thing for me. Am I an idiot? Right? Uh, to which, uh, turns out, yes, I was an idiot. It, is, it was the right piece. I was just babying it. Oh, you felt like okay. A, you were just felt like a total boy. fool. Little yeah, soft shoe. Little, yeah, little yeah. soft shoe. So they just sort of looked at you. They were like, "Damn, clowning." I'm wow. glad it was John because I would have been embarrassed mm-hmm. if it was somebody else. I'm glad no one else knows the story now. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> but that was me. I'm like, I'm babying my new technology uh, because the other one lasted for 11 years, and I'm like, no, I gotta match this. Mm. <laughs> I uh, apparently I was talking to somebody about this. Apparently, having a computer last for like 11 years without like getting the hard drive replaced is pretty rare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So Absolutely. Nobody has. You don't have a computer for 10 years. That's wild. It's wild. I can't believe it. Uh, All right. So what else is going on? Um, Oh, your uh, Yankees are in the playoffs. Lakers are about to win the championship. You must be feeling very good, Kevin. We still a lot of games to play. Two to one. It's only two to one. (laughs) Only two to one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If it was 3-0, you'd be feeling a lot better after last night. No, I feel the same. Lakers are five. That's right. It doesn't matter. Um... For all the folks out there looking for something to uh, ease your mind when you're a little stressed out, people see me tweeting about it in the last 10 minutes on Twitter, probably. I was watching King Kong versus Godzilla on YouTube today. It's there yeah. It's there for free. <laughs> it's a wild movie. <laughs> it's an outrageous movie. I just, I just want to share one line with you folks, and then we'll move on. Go watch this on YouTube for free. A military general is standing there. He's just done some sort of military operation. A private runs up to him and goes... Sir, Kong has appeared in Tokyo. And the general turns to him and goes, King Kong? (laughs) No, not King Kong. The other one. Some other Kong. Some other Kong. Another Kong. Uh, And the other one I guess I have for you this week is uh, something I read about. We're going to get into uh, my reads of the week later this week that mention this. Mm -hmm. Um, Are you familiar with the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Mask of the Red Death? Yeah. I was thinking about this last week. Mm-hmm. This feels like something that's going to get adapted in the future uh, yeah. to be related to modern times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for folks who don't know, this Edgar Allan Poe story about a prince and a group of wealthy nobles who host a masquerade ball during the Red Death and they're being uh, very revelrous and having a great party, not aware that the, the Red Death itself has snuck into their party. It's very, mm. It's very good. Uh, but I was thinking about, like, uh, stories that get adapted all the time, and I was like, I wonder if anyone's done this as, Definitely. like, a... There's not as many adaptations of this as you would think there would be. They didn't make a... I thought they made a movie for this back in, like... The, in the 70s, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with Vincent Price. Yeah, yeah, there the was day. a Vincent Price movie. That's yeah. what it was. Yes, it's me, Vincent Price. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. it was a terrible Vincent Price impression. Um, yeah, I feel like this is uh, this is due. We're, we're, <laughs> we're ready... For, People aren't ready for an allegory about COVID since we're still in the middle of it, certainly. Like, no one's making this movie tomorrow, right? No, we're not no making, making movies. Any no movies, one's making yeah. any movies. Um, but yeah, there's something I feel like, here's my prediction, is that in the next five to ten years, we're going to see some adaptation of The Mask of the Red Death set in modern times. Mm. And you're going to say, Sam told me that was going to happen. <laughs> um, Mark it down, folks. Oh, man. All right. So we gotta sort. Of, I, I tried to do this out into a timeline. We gotta kind of dig into the news of the week. 
And I guess we'll start with the debates and we'll end up with today. And I've tried to pace this out. It's unbelievable. It was only this week. It's mind-blowing, right? We did this pod... When we did the podcast last Monday, I think I had planned on doing, you know, maybe 10, 15 minutes sort of talking about the debate. You know, this is before I watched the debate, obviously. Sure. Uh, and then everything happened and the whole news cycle shifted and changed. Uh, so let's start with the debate for just one second, because I have sort of, because it's sort of gotten lost in the in the discussion, along with Trump's taxes, which we'll talk about too. Uh, we, I watched the full debate. Uh, you were coming home, I think, from practice, and we watched like the second half of it with me, and I don't know if you, know, if you went back and watched it. I saw a lot of people throwing out, this is the biggest embarrassment in the history of democracy, in the history of TV debates. It was pretty bad. It was a really, really tough watch, and I don't think we need to litigate every single uh, beat of it. You know, Trump talked over Biden a lot. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a bully for most of the time he was up there. He didn't really follow the protocols. Uh, he had sort of uneasy... Not even just a bully. I don't really think calling it a bully... Calling it a bully makes it sound like he was somehow strong or firm or anything like right. that out there. I mean, he was, he was, a chi- he was like a child. It was, it was, it was like a temper tantrum. It looked like a 10, yeah, 10 year old kid. Mm -hmm. Um, There were three points, I guess, that I think were, that I took away from this. One, when Trump was throwing the softball question about like racism and denouncing like white supremacy and just Mm sort of let it go by. Only time he shut up the whole night. Only only time he stopped talking. Uh, The other was when he openly sort of talked about, uh, Stealing the election, like sort of <laughs> openly, like pledged to do whatever it takes, and mm-hmm. we were all like, "Okay, this is, we're just gonna say this loud part." Yes. He's been saying it. Yeah. That's not new. That's not new to the debate. And then uh, you know, a lot of people were saying his climate change stuff. The climate change stuff was the only time during the debate where I was like, "Biden is absolutely killing him in this debate. Like, absolutely murdering him with like policy and like say, Trump has no response mm-hmm. for any of the stuff that Biden is saying." Biden felt really. He looked really comfortable. He felt like he was, like, dominating the conversation. I liked when Biden would come in and just sort of be like, I got plans and I got stuff to do. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to, like, partake with this bullshit, right? Mm-hmm. I wanted more of that. And I would yeah. like to see more of that in a, you know, going forward. I don't know if we'll have any more debates between those two going forward. Um, before we move on, I have two questions for you. Okay. Do you think they should... I mean, Certainly they should change the debate format. Do you think we'll see a change in debate format if we get another debate? Between... The different debate was already a different debate format. It was a town hall set up before they had this. That was already mm-hmm. scheduled. It's a different format is a moot point because the next mm-hmm. debate wasn't set up to be this format at any point. Um, that one it doesn't look like they're going to have. Certainly if the president's going to have to stay in quarantine and stay away, which is a shame because I was interested to see them taking direct questions from voters. Yes. Um, I was also interested to watch him stand and walk for 90 minutes. Yeah. Without a true. podium to lean on, you know, say what you will, but I was interested to see it. Um, but I, that one doesn't look like it's going to happen. I wouldn't be, I would be surprised at this point if any more happened. Uh, I'm which gen- I don't think is any loss for the people. We, you asked me about like six weeks ago, eight weeks ago on the show, we were talking, you are like, well, when we get to the debates, do you think we'll see, like, finally, once the debates will... And I was like, I don't think it's going to be... Nobody's going to learn anything from these debates. No. It's going to be a mess. It was never going to be... I mean, we've seen, after this amount of time, you, you know who people are. You know what they're going to act like. You know what I mean? Nobody's going to come in all of a sudden possessed by the ghost of Abraham Lincoln or whatever and be some great orator if they're not. 
Uh, yeah, I think, you know, personally, I'm, you know, I'm certainly voting for Biden, no matter what happens. Would I have liked to see him be a little feistier up on stage? I mean, he, it was hard. I don't oh. know how. I don't, yeah, I think oh. that's the question, right? Like, it, no one won that debate because nothing happened, really. It was just Biden a, won that debate. Biden won the debate by being the only adult in the room, right? And yeah. I don't think that, I, I don't know. It's not like the debate was ever going to turn anybody anyway. So it's not like... Although I wonder if it did. Like, was his performance so... Polling, polling indicates that it did. Every major polling organization nationally indicates that, that, you know, it did have an effect on some people. So, hmm. yeah. I probably would have liked to see them go after Trump's tax thing a little bit harder during the debate. I think would they kind of let him off the hook after they a couple of jabs. They need a jab. mic cut. They have to have a mic cut. That's yes. The only, it's the only way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the only yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. There has to be a mic cut, like, around the horn. Uh, all right. So, I'm going to try and frame this in the best way we... So on Friday, uh, President Trump goes on Twitter and tweets about how he has tested positive for COVID. And then within the next couple days, almost everybody in his, all of his top uh, representatives and everybody in the Republican Party starts testing positive as well. This includes, you know, uh, Melania Trump, uh, Chris Christie, uh, Rona McDaniel, uh, Kellyanne Conway, Hope Hicks. Uh, I could list more and more people. Kayla Mc, uh, what's her name? The one today who just came out. The the secretary of the press there. What's her name? Kayla McEnany. I can't. Mm. Is that it? I always screw it up. I saw someone on Twitter being like, "Oh, it's a hoax because only the Republican, <laughs> only the Republican." They were all at the same events together. Yeah. Just this past week, they were all at the same events together. Yeah, exactly. And, the, and the, so the the doctors, I mean, the doctors, quote unquote, because that man literally lost his MD, that comedy fellow. But these doctors coming out are being very evasive, not really giving direct answers. I mean, I yeah. I, so then Trump goes to Walter Reed Medical Center mm-hmm. on Friday night, mm-hmm. and then it sort of becomes a strange series of, of staged photos what were your thoughts on the staged photos <laughs> writing his name on a blank piece of paper it's just it's it's unbelievable it's unbelievable not only that they can't find one person who can do this stuff better that that was um, what i kind of can't got. find one but i understand that like nobody nobody with any confidence or wherewithal wants to sell their good name by going to work with these people either um but like furthermore i don't know how you can look at any of that and not be like all right this is a little ridiculous and inappropriate that the american people are being kept in the dark and lied to about the health of the president of the united states of america and you could give me whatever disingenuous bad faith bullshit you want to about why that's okay but that's i mean that should be a wake-up call moment to anybody who's still asleep or lying to themselves yeah i mean i don't know what to say about it really i mean a lot of this election cycle has been about the discussion about Trump's handling of COVID, and he is sort of backed himself into this corner of arguing one side only. I don't even think after this he'll ever really... He's not going to be like, I was wrong, COVID Never. Like, taught me, right? But like, this is why, like, back when people were laughing three years ago about his doctor coming out and saying, oh, he's 239 pounds of fitness a fiddle, and people don't understand, that's why lies like that matter. Mm-hmm. Because that's why now we still can't trust anything, don't know mm-hmm. anything, have no idea what's going on, and we as American people have a right to know what's going on when it comes to things like this. Uh, so then, sometime on Sunday, Trump takes a very ill-advised trip in the back of a black Chevy Suburban outside of Walter Reed Medical mm. to wave at no one's sure who? The cameras, I suppose? I don't know if there are people out there. Yeah, there were, there were some people out there. And then, as I was doing the report today, uh, NPR is reporting that Trump is going to leave the hospital today 
even though their doctors are saying he's not completely out of the woods. Right. What a wild story over the course of four days that has sucked up the entire news cycle. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's literally just, just kind of scratching the surface yeah. of it. Like, that's a super quick bullet points of some of the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't have more for it. So... It's been a long week. That and the, you know, the taxes, and which is... It's, it, there's so much. How, I don't. I don't know how we do any one of these stories justice, let alone all of them. I really don't. It's crazy. Well, so we are 28 days away from the election, right? Yes. As of right now, I've seen a lot of different polls. I'm seeing numbers between 10 to 14 sort of percent in different polls per, for Biden, for the most part, as a favorite. I still am kind of gun shy from the last election. Certainly, like I. I mean, the numbers all seem to show that Trump is probably behind Biden at this point in time. I just feel like it's probably, this is a stupid analogy, but like, the challenger has to go knock out the heavyweight champion to win the title. You know what I'm saying? Like, as the incumbent, I feel like I still don't believe Trump's going to lose until it actually happens. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. And, you, as, and you shouldn't, and nobody should. Yeah. Nobody nobody should. The elections still have to happen. You still have to play the game. Uh, I wanted to share a piece of history I found this week. This is not a history election. Uh, this is about a U.S. president who couldn't avoid a pandemic that swept the world and infected millions of people. That president was Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> so Woodrow Wilson's administration initially tried to downplay the disease even as it spread worldwide. This is in 1919. Uh, federal response to the influenza outbreak in 1918 can be described as, quote-unquote, neglectful. The hundreds of thousands of Americans died without President uh, Wilson saying anything or mobilizing non-military components of the U.S. government to help the civilian population. Uh, he also blames Wilson for contributing to the pandemic by continuing the, tr uh, the mobilization of troops easing as World War I was coming to an end. And then, in April of 1919, Wilson himself contracts the Spanish flu shortly after arriving in Paris for the Big Four peace talks this is from usa today i just couldn't believe this story isn't more popular i was like wow we have like a precedent for this true like, woodrow wilson terrible guy yes terrible terrible guy <laughs> probably rather not doing like folk folk tales about old woodrow <laughs> yeah so i just thought this was funny and this is actually not the only parallel to 1918 <sighs> we're going to make in the next upcoming uh in the next upcoming little bit here Okay. All right, let's move away from Trump. I got a couple please, other stuff. Please, my God, please. <laughs> uh, I mean, a lot of this stuff is all like you know, it is what it is. This is the stories of the time. I mean, this is the stories of the moment. Every time I look in the news sources, this is where we are. You know, it's COVID and Trump and elections and it's tough. Uh, speaking of COVID stuff, New York City is seeking a shutdown uh, for schools, businesses, and dining in areas as COVID nineteen spikes throughout New York State. Mm -hmm. uh, this is also in conjunction with Paris. Paris is shutting down its bars and raising their alerts to maximum after coronavirus spikes in Paris. And then in England and also in the U.S., Cineworld, the world's second biggest cinema operator, said it will temporarily close all its screens in the United States and Britain after studios pulled major release James Bond film that was supposed to come out this weekend. So now all the cinemas are closing. Uh, so... I know that everyone's feeling good about like you know like we we've survived in COVID, but we are feels like we're in a bad state all of a sudden. Correct. Every, yeah, like real bad. We've been spot, in a bad yeah. state, people. I'd... I know we've been in a bad state, but I you, you seem so defeated. <laughs> because like what I mean, because no, people get upset when you say it to them. 
people boo you yeah. when you tell them the truth. <laughs> yeah. Is what it is. You know what I mean? Like, what do I, I want to, I want to be firm and vigorous about it, but I'm aware that doesn't always get me to where I want to be with it. So. No, it's true. Yeah, man. I don't know. And, and no, it's true because like, uh, I don't know. I actually have yet, I've yet to see a person in my like small sphere outside of like where I go. Mm-hmm. I, I, I read all these horror stories. I've yet to see anybody actually, like, flaunting the no mask thing. Oh, God, dude. They're nuts out there. I, I swear to God. Because you don't... You, you've you been... Uh, I've had to be pulled back out in the world a little bit as we've returned to doing a couple weddings yeah. and trying to keep our precautions there because, you know, Congress isn't doing anything and we need money to survive the winter. Uh, so, you know what I mean? P, yeah, people are nuts with it. People are absolutely... Nobody cares at all anymore. No, Nobody no. Nobody cares at all anymore. Uh, well, and that's like the word you see getting floated around a lot in the uh, in different news sources this week is inf- uh, pandemic fatigue, right? That's like the, the buzzword I've seen a lot. And it's like, pand- uh, pandemic fatigue sounds like a fancy way of saying, like, I've I've accepted death. <laughs> I've accepted, you know what I mean? Like, come take me now. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't, I think people have this impression that, like, when the when the election happens on November 3rd, like, the world's going to shift immediately. And it's not. <laughs> not all the way. Not all the way. Uh, I mean, it'll, it'll take until January. You still got a lame duck session to get through, which would be the most... That's the thing, too. Like, you don't just you don't just become the president that you win the election. It's no matter who right, wins. Right, right. There's still a layover period there as well. <sighs> all right. Uh, I have two reads of the week for you uh, mm-hmm. and one of them ties into uh, the movie stuff we were just talking about it's from Hollywood Reporter it is called Closed Movie Theaters and, Inf- and Infected Stars How the 1918 Flu Halted Hollywood so it's just a quick write up about how that influenza like affected Hollywood during that time period that's pretty cool I mean again everything about this is all very morbid but it's a fascinating read yeah there's, <laughs> there's plenty of, there's plenty of fascination <laughs> we found in morbid topics uh, and the other one I have is from Defector, which is the one website that I pay money for at the moment. <laughs> the first website I've ever paid money for. Mm. And it's from, uh, author David Roth, and it's called, uh, Think of How Easy It Would Have Been for Donald Trump to Not Contract the Coronavirus. It's a really long title to, About a, it. <laughs> to a really, uh, interesting piece. Uh, I think this is a paywall site, but you can read certain ones for free before you have to pay anything. And it's worth the read. I like David Roth. Mm. He's a pretty good writer. A lot uh, of great writers on that site. Yeah, yeah. They're doing really good uh, work out there. Uh, Kev, what's uh, anything you've been reading this week? I, I didn't I didn't give you insight to like come up with this. Tell no, you no, that's all right. Week. I didn't I didn't um, really think to it. And it's funny because I see so many great articles, and I wish I did a better job of cataloging them so I could share them with others uh, because I'd always read some great stuff. Um, this week, specifically, I got... I've been trying to get back more towards books a little bit. Yeah. I've been trying to get uh, a little bit more, instead of defaulting to uh, the television screen, like if mm-hmm. I go like lay down and go to bed, like the default, I was just going to turn on the TV to watch something. I'm like, wait a minute, I don't need to turn on this TV at all. Just mm-hmm. grab a book, you don't need to put the phone down. Um, to mixed results. So I got like a pile of three or four books. I'm trying to get one of them to really hook me, but then I just get sleepy and I fall asleep. <laughs> That's my biggest problem with uh, reading in my room lately, mm. is if I'm in my bed... Yeah, no, definitely. Not, you get a blanket pulled uh, up. You know what done. I mean. You sort of yeah. I know what you done. mean. I know what you mean. Um, 
So I have. Uh, it's not an I'm done with this guy because I've been done with these people done forever. So many I'm done guys. with so many people. Just done with so many but guys. Uh, a lot of people this week are done with Melania Trump after mm. secretly recorded tapes uh, show her frustration at family separation. Boy, policy. she got off lucky getting the coronavirus because these tapes came out. These like tapes six were hours brutal before. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these tapes felt like a skit that. Stephen Colbert had come up with Correct. on his show. Like, yeah, I was yeah. like, I can't believe this is a real mm-hmm. tape. She's really getting owned by this friend of hers here, this Stephanie Wilkson, Wilkoff person. Yeah. 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 Uh, what did you have? Did that cha- I mean, it didn't change my thoughts, but I know a lot of people, like, my niece always talks to me about, like, how a lot of, like, young people on the internet do, like, the free Baron Trump thing. Like, it's uh, like, yeah, yeah. oh, he's held hostage in there. And I think there's a lot of people who look at Melania Trump and they're like, oh, she's not... I mean, she's held hostage by this. Like no, she's, she's bad. Yeah, I think yeah, these yeah, yeah. sort of tapes are like the smoking gun for like, oh, that free Melania idea is probably yeah, not. Yeah, she's she's just playing out her contract. <laughs> she's playing out her contract. No, yeah, I don't know. I, I have I have zero sympathy. I mean, what's her? You know, we've talked I have about sympathy for the kid because he's a kid. He's so a kid. You can't, you yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much damage they've done to the kid yet, but like, you can't blame what you're born into, I guess. And that goes for everybody, but at a certain point, a lot of people have speculated like what. You know what President Trump's uh, you know trajectory post the presidency is whether it's like TV or jail or whatever, right, right. whatever, right? But what's Melania's second life after Nothing. this? Nothing. Does she? she ha- what interest does she have in a public life? You'll never see no, her again. No, I, I know that. Well, that's why spend I, her money. I suppose is she still she's still famous, right? She's a former first lady, right? So yeah, sure. How do you turn that fame into a secondary? I guess she already has money. What the hell does she care, right? Yeah, shit, she, right? yeah, she can do it. Yeah, she can do anything she wants. Write a book. She's probably a well. I, she's. I, I assume that she's like him, right? Where she feels the need to like be in the public spotlight, but maybe not. No, maybe she's not like him. No, that I don't way, think that's right? really the case at all. Yeah, <laughs> we don't see much of her. So she, you know what I mean? Really. This has been the most kind of invisible first lady we've had uh, in the modern era, certainly. So, I mean, I gotta say, the kid stuff is really disgusting. Like all the child separation stuff, where she's like, you know, give me a effing break. You know, Aquino said this. It's all really like flippant and really terrible and really like devalidating all the things about her. People try and say. I did think the Christmas take was funny. I thought her being like. Fuck off, Christmas. Like again, guy. again, again. All of this stuff that goes on would be the funniest stuff in the world <laughs> if, if it, it wasn't, wasn't like true and real. Yeah, yeah. If this, yeah. Was, if this was just Veep, this would be. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what it just. It feels like Veep is just kind of crossed yeah. over. Uh, well, Veep had to like change their whole show when he became president. They had to like, uh, what do we do? How do we respond to this? Because what do we do in on television? Well, Saturday Night Live is back, and I don't know if you watched any of that last night. Again, I watched actually. Yeah, I watched a bunch of it the night it was on. It's uh, just the back half of it. It's just tough to do political comedy when the world of politics is hard to. It's mi- also people. It's people feel like they can only do politics, and they have to. Everybody feels yes. like they have to weigh in, and they feel like that's what it has to be. Is it has to be. National presidential executive branch politics, and we've all got to do that and all that. And like, you can do that, but you just, you know what I mean. I like garlic, but it can't be the only thing in your dish. Uh, I think you're totally right. I have a new segment, Kevin. We're going to debut for the for the listeners here, and I can't believe we've never done this segment before because we've talked about it uh, in the past in our own private life. It's right. a new segment, and it's called "The Internet Remains Undefeated." Mm. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> and this week's section 
is about hashtag the Proud Boys. Oh, <laughs> okay. hashtag Proud Boys. Shout out to George Takei. Yeah, the Proud Boys hashtag, which members of the far-right group have been using, was trending Sunday after gay men on Twitter hijacked it and flooded the feed with photos of their loved ones and their families and with memes. Yeah, yeah. I I, I love it. I, I love loved it. it so much. I love it. Especially because the Proud Boys are they're such losers that you just, and you know <laughs> it gets them upset because half of them are closeted anyway, which is why they're so angry in their little polo shirts. Um, it's amazing. Yeah. Uh, internet I, remains undefeated. Internet remains undefeated. It was like the one thing that happened this week that I was like, that's hilarious. I love it. It gave me uh, some joy. Uh, well, Kevin, that's pretty much all the politics you have to talk about for today. I, unfortunately... Have to continue talking about politics, but this is local politics, and it is very important. So I'm yeah, very. I'm oh, always uh, interested. No, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, I, was I wasn't. Really, I was cutting you off. You go. Well, I mean, uh, so that's why I'm happy to have Luke Rudell in here, who's been, you know, he's been on the ground covering uh, Claudia Tinney and Anthony Brindisi in this sort of rematch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he's been in the news a lot today on Twitter because he's had some sort of incident at the uh, Tenney event earlier this week, and it's been all over the mm. news. So. We'll talk a bit about what happened there and what everyone's saying on both sides. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about why he decided to get into politics at this age, because I was not interested in politics when I was his age. Like, good for him, but like... More more young people yeah, need to yeah. be. And I think his generation, too, I wonder if he'll say this, but it looks to me like his generation is a lot more uh, paying attention and involved and into politics instead of, you know, just kind of leaning back into the privilege and like, oh, who cares about that stuff? Yeah. Seems like these kids are gassed and... I mean, if I was a young kid, if I was some kid who was 18, 20, 21 today, looking at what you've seen for mm-hmm. the last 20 years, I'd be radical filled. Yeah, yeah. So I'd love to see it. I always love to see the youth getting involved. Yeah, so uh, so why don't we just get into it. Uh, here's our interview with uh, Luke Riddell of Elected News. I can. Hey, what's going on, man? Not much. How are you? Oh, I'm I'm doing all right. I uh, this whole pot. I, I'm going to tell you right now. We're already recording because I am technologically not savvy. No uh, problem. <laughs> so uh, I just want to let you know before we start. I feel like it's professional of me because this whole interview is going to yeah. be you realizing how unprofessional I am at this. So <laughs> no problem at all. I'm just really happy to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you on. I, I'm like, uh, I'm looking at your Twitter feed uh, right now. Uh, I'm glad you're having fun with this kid reporter thing. I'm, I'm really enjoying. Oh, I, I loved it. I mean, I was so happy to go on with them this morning, and I love those guys over there, Andrew and, uh, and and Jeff and and Bill, of course. And you know, I, I'm glad that they covered it. But man, oh man, I mean, what a headline! Like, really, kid reporter at this point? I mean, the rest of the article is not much better, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the kid reporter thing was I, I found that pretty funny. You should start like a, a YA adult like a YA novel series about like Luke Riddell, kid reporter, and it can just be you can sell it to everybody. Um, That's awesome. 
That's so great. So, um, because I, I shot that Tuesday. All right. Making note for that for later. <laughs> So I'll give you my uh, my preamble here. A lot of people don't get to hear this part of the podcast because we used to do it in person in the in the pre-COVID times. But um, this interview is sort of going to get broken down into three separate parts. Sort of the first part is the same questions we ask everybody. Where are you from? You know, background, things like that. Uh, middle section will be about everything you've been doing with elected news on YouTube and on Twitter and, and sort of the buzz you've been getting behind you. And then the last couple of things will be our lightning round questions, which we ask everybody who's been on the podcast for 276 episodes. So it's pretty straightforward. Great. Um, and I guess I'll start, uh, I guess I'll start with this before we even get into the interview proper. The first time I actually, you know, the kid reporter thing is, I guess it's important to discuss because the first time I came across you was on Twitter, really. And the first time we sort of interacted in any real way. Uh, and I think it was about uh, something where I had gotten an argument with someone who I found out was Claudia Tenney's campaign manager about the definition of what a baseball win is. I remember that. That was, <laughs> that was a great conversation. I was so happy to see that. That was wonderful. Uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it because I didn't, I didn't have a great time with it. Um, but that was the, but it wasn't too much longer after that, that I started seeing you had sort of uh, run into our good friend of the podcast, Ron, and you'd sort of, yeah. how did you first meet Ron? That was again on Twitter, just kind of uh, just, you know, being out and about on Twitter, reporting on uh, political stories. And uh, he came across, I think he, he had been listening uh, or watching the show on YouTube um, because he listens to Q in the morning and I've been yeah. on you know, morning. And uh, so he, he, he had been following on there and then came over to Twitter and uh, yeah, the rest is. Well, and the reason I wanted to bring that up essentially is because when I first interacted with you and you know I, I had seen a lot of the, the tweets and a lot of the content you put out there, I had never brought the age thing into concept. Like I never thought about it when I initially interacted with you. So it wasn't until afterwards when I found out and I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty wild. Uh, and the only reason I bring it up is because, you know, I'm, I'm 34 years old and, you know, for my generation, you know, when I was, God, when I was 17, like we, it just wasn't, politics was never a discussion. Right. And the fact that you've made sort of a, a name for yourself in terms of social media doing this, is both uplifting and fascinating to me. And I'm sort of curious uh, where you, the first sort of inklings to politics showed up for you. Yeah, I mean, it's my, my dad's always been very interested in politics um, for, for the longest time. And we'd always have meet the press on every Sunday morning. Um, and, and then the 2016 Republican primaries is really where I got into it. Um, you know, as I was maybe four, I was four years old when Barack Obama got elected. So I'd yeah. see him on and I'd say, oh, that guy, that guy, I like that guy a lot. Um, and just, just based on personality alone. Um, and then also Sarah Palin had a son with Down syndrome. My brother has Down syndrome. Um, so that was something that was, that was um, important too. And then uh, <laughs> Mitt Romney in, in 2012 was, uh, was my candidate of choice. And then the 2016 Republican primary was when I really, got, I watched those debates. You know, I was trying to kind of feel the groundwork for, you know, what, what a campaign looks like and what, what that, you know, what that is. And, you know, the uh, election turned out in a different way than I thought it would. Um, uh, and I think that all of us thought it would, honestly. Um, anyone who says that they knew Trump was going to win is either lying to you or is insane. Um, so, but now he is the president and maybe about six months into his presidency, 
I realized that, you know, there's, there's not really a good option for children or, or people, I should say, my age, uh, or really people in general, to get the news and analysis in, in a way that's entertaining and concise. And it's not, you know, there's, there's cable news, which, you know, they have 24 hour back and forth panelists and analysts. It's, it's all like a lot of, you know, 10 minute segments where people are debating and the issues aren't actually made very clear. Um, there's late night comedy shows where everything's, you know, kind of made into, made into a punchline, which, you know, has its, you know, I, we use jokes on the show. And then when I'm, I include jokes to make it entertaining. And there's Twitter, which is just a, which is something I got in on in uh, February of 2020. It's a whole different like landscape. And there, there are good sides to Twitter. There are bad sides to Twitter, but there's nothing quite like what I tried to do and what I'm trying to do with, with elected, which is, you know, reporting and analysis really it's just uh you know doing doing some journalistic work and then uh for for the stories that i want to talk about the stories that i care about for my youtube show uh doing analytic you know analytical uh pieces about it both locally with my 22 and national stories so for for many years i worked in uh the public school system for unique schools i worked at proctor high school and various middle schools throughout the district and you know especially recently when working at Proctor during, you know, the Trump presidency, you know, I have, I was surrounded by a lot of kids, you know, from highly diverse backgrounds, especially the program I work for. And they were genuinely, you know, concerned in a way that I had not expected, you know, what has sort of the conversation been with you and like your peers during these last few years, like looking around, has that been, has politics become more of a discussion just in general than it was? I feel like it has. Yeah. I feel like it's a lot more it's, it's omnipresent now in our lives in a way that it really wasn't um, beforehand. And NBC special reports going on behind us now is because Trump's being moved. Um, it's very, it's like I said, it's, it's, it's every, it's, it's a lot because Trump is president because Trump does so much every day and it's all over the place. Uh, it, it has become more of a conversation point because it is more important now than really it ever has been. Um, so when talking to classmates, I, I don't find, uh, anybody has a, one particular view um, on on everything. Uh, you know, there's there's people. I, I go to New Hartford High School now. Um, I, I transferred there in November of last year, and so when when I went there, I kind of expected, you know, is is this, you know, the, these are the suburbanites, the the cultural elites. But there are plenty of people there who support President Trump, who are Republicans. There are people there who do not support him, who are very liberal, and then there are people who are just kind of there to listen and there to learn. Uh, and, you know, there to have a conversation about what's going on. And then, you know, I like talking to everybody, but, you know, the best conversations happen when, even if you have a set belief system, you're able to listen and respond in a way that is a, a good faith discussion. And I've appreciated that about a lot of the stuff I've seen you do both on Twitter and social media. Uh, you know, you push back on a lot of stuff, even on the Brindisi side of thing, which is not something you tend to see. People have, you know, I, I've backed myself into a corner here. You know, we've been covering... Claudia and, and Bernice since the last election and she blocked me in 2016 and since then I can't see any tweet she's done so at this point in time she on a podcast me. for and I found a way around it but oh, you have I, yeah I, I found a way around it because I got a report on it I mean it's the new as you yeah. saw with uh, the conspiracy theory thing today I don't know if you got there was a press release out mm -hmm. of Bernice about some reporting that I had done on tweets I mean she's making news in her tweets so you got to be able to look at uh and look at what she's tweeting. So yeah, I've, I've gotten around it. And, uh, you know, she hasn't, uh, she hasn't figured out how to get rid of that yet. So 
until she does. I guess for me, at a certain point in time, you know, I realized as a podcast personality, I'm just, people already know how I feel. They know I'm a Democrat. They know I'm on the left. Why am I like sitting here trying to be a journalist? You know, I'm, I'm me, I'm a character. I'm going to talk to people about what they believe. But for you, you know, you're on the, you've been out reporting, you know, on the ground. You certainly have to maintain a certain level of professionalism versus just being yourself, right? Is there a balance to that when you're doing the show? Yeah. So when, when I do the show, I always want to make sure uh, the reporting that I'm doing is from a journalistic standpoint, it's the facts. So I wanna make sure that I had the facts. I try to keep as much of the analysis out of just straight up stories as possible. I save that for interviews like this, for when I go on you know, radio or TV or talk to someone in a column. Uh, that, that is where my analysis kicks in. But for the, the article itself, I try to keep as much analysis out where I don't think it'll help the reader. So if I'm if I if I am you know gonna include any analysis at all, it's for the purpose of telling that story and, and making the facts more clear. Um, with the YouTube pieces, there is a lot more analysis. And at a certain point, it does kind of come down to, I wouldn't say opinion, but just based on my personal analytical view mm -hmm. of what happened. Because opinion, you don't always need facts to back up your opinion. You can just kind of feel something and that's you know, <laughs> acceptable. Um, with analysis, you need to have evidence. You need to like make a point and build an argument, uh, which I think is how we should be, uh, you know, opinions are valid, but we should also be speaking to each other with analytical terms. You know, we should be you know, providing evidence for for what we believe, and we should have facts and sort and you know sources and media credible media outlets that we're that we're watching every day to uh, to inform our opinions. Um, so so I try to balance that in a way that's fair. Like it's like you said, I try to cover both sides of the campaign, both from a, a journalistic standpoint and from an analytical standpoint. Um, obviously from an, uh, a journalistic standpoint, I've gotten, there, there are just more, there is just more news coming out of the Tenney campaign. The Tenney campaign, more things that are in, in my view, from a journalistic view, newsworthy. Um, but there are things that come out of the British campaign that are newsworthy, good and bad. And then there are analytical things. Uh, my analytical view, I, I did uh, a piece about Spectrum. Um, I've, I've been, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of pieces that I've done about the Bernissi campaign that they might they might not like very much, uh, and and that's that's just kind of par for the course. But it's it's about looking at the issues, looking at what people are talking about, looking at you know what matters to to the voters and what matters to my audience, and presenting in uh, the journalistic standpoint the facts that I have and the sources that I've been able to gather, and then from the YouTube standpoint the analysis that I have on what's happened with obviously that evidence. Um, so I got to ask you, I want to, I want to go back in time a little bit. You mentioned your, your father was a, a big influence on you getting started. Uh, we always ask people, so you were born locally. Were you raised around here? I was born in Buffalo, New York, but we moved here when I was seven months old. I, I lived in, uh, out in West Winfield for a while. It's about 20 minutes outside of Utica. And then we, we moved to New Hartford when I was, you know, pretty young and, uh, been there ever since. So yeah, I've been, you know, around, uh, around here for almost all my life. Are you an only child? I am not. I have two younger brothers. Mm. Um, Mark is 14. And as I mentioned, uh, he, he is a great basketball player. He is uh, a very smart kid. And he also has Down syndrome. Um, and then my uh, youngest brother is John Paul. He's 10 years old. Um, and uh, he, he's a big fan of the show. He likes to, to help out with the show. And, and you know, he's, he's really uh, the greatest. So I have two brothers who, who both like to help out with the show and, and uh, take part in the videos. 
That's great. Now, uh, I always ask, I'm the youngest of three. So as the youngest, I tended to get away with just kind of whatever, because everything had already happened. Yep. As the oldest, you get cracked down on the hardest? No, my parents are very fair and very even to all of us. Your, your, your listeners can't see that I'm winking. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, you know, yes, there is, there is a varying based on uh, siblings, but you know what? <laughs> Um, so you're currently, you're a junior at New, at New Hartford right now or senior? Yeah. Junior. Yeah. And junior. So let me ask you this. How has sort of doing the YouTube show and being on Twitter and doing this coverage, has that sort of bled over into school at all? I know school is weird now with like COVID stuff and everything, but like, has it, do people know you as this guy now? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was uh, talking to my cross country coach earlier today. He said, I, I heard you on the radio this morning. You got yourself in trouble again. Uh, <laughs> he, he, He's more on the Republican side of things, I, I, as far as I can tell. So, but if he's listening again, hello. Uh, but yeah, there, there has been there's been great support from the school, frankly, from uh, everyone at New Hartford. Um, and if you read this, actually, the, the column that I did with Ron, uh, a bunch of my teachers got to talk to him, which was great. Um, but they've all been super supportive of the show. And, and you know, obviously, I talk about it with uh, my friends. Other students will come up and say, "Hey, I just saw the new video drop. I like it a lot." Or Hey, you probably shouldn't have, uh, you probably, I didn't like that joke you made. It's like, oh, well, you know what? We'll come, we'll try again next week, you know? Um, but yeah. Have you thought, I mean, I only asked this because my job, I used to work for a program that did like helped seniors and juniors get into college. And I'm only curious because, you know, when I was getting to the end of my college career, um, I was sort of disenfranchised with education and my, you know, and the person I was working with, my counselor was talking about, you know, you're, you're pretty wordy, you're pretty clever. Why don't you get into like journalism? And this was in 2013. And I was like, absolutely not. I want nothing to do with it. I don't have that many opinions that aren't based on sports. Um, but now I look at it like, have you thought about what this would be as like a path going forward? Have you thought about journalism or news or something along those lines now based on what you started here? Yeah, I really have. You know, it's it, it was not, again, it was just kind of like a, a side passion project. Um, but I mean, I feel like I've been able to to get an audience uh, while doing it now. And it's definitely something I'm looking at. Uh, long term, I've made no secret of the fact that I, I love politics and would like to uh, long term become the president of the United States someday. <laughs> but, you know, what, however, whatever means I need to uh, exercise in order to get to to there, as long as it's well within the law. I'm just saying from from a, from a career path standpoint, um, then uh, I'm I'm looking forward to to getting there at you know age 35, which is uh... <laughs> which will be me in January. That makes me feel very old. Uh, speaking of making me feel very old, uh, I want to talk a little bit about like the use of the platforms. You know, you're you're I see you primarily on Twitter and and YouTube for me. I don't know if there's extra platforms you're on that I'm. Are you one of those TikTok people? I don't know if you're a I do. I, I have a TikTok. I I try to post videos on there, um, just like clips of stuff, like songs that I do for the show or, or, or uh, clips. I didn't really think it worked very well, um, but I do have a TikTok. It's the same, you know, at Luke Radle. If people are interested, it's more it's more personal now than it was uh, than it is elected news. Do you feel like you know the? I, I don't want to make this thing about your age the whole time, but do you feel like your age has opened the door for you for more places? Or do you feel like it's held you back? Well, it, it, it kind of depends, you know, at the, the very beginning, getting interviews the first time was always a little bit tricky. 
um, because I'm new in the system. You know, they, they don't know, they don't recognize my email. They don't recognize my name. They don't recognize my show. I don't have many, I didn't have many uh, people really watching or listening back then. Um, but once I got my first interview and my second interview and started picking up and, and people would, you know, talk to other people about me. And then I'd, you know, be out and about in the community and a politician would come up to me and say, hey, you haven't had me on your show yet. I'm like, oh, let me talk to your press person. And, you know, a week later I'd be sitting down with them. So that was something that was great was when I was, you know, maybe, uh, you know, for, during the 2018 election cycle, when I was like, you know, 14 and still kind of figuring out the ropes of how to interview someone and how to ask questions, uh, trying to make a name for myself, you know, you get connections with these, these people. Um, it, it was kind of like, it was like the headline said, you know, the kid reporter, you know, everybody was taking an interview with the kid reporter um, because that was the thing to do. Now, after I've kind of established myself, not fully yet, I mean, not, not, I'm not, you know, going to overstate my platform or anything, um, but now that, you know, Tenny knows who I am, Bernice knows who I am, uh, the, the major players in the area uh, know me, have talked to me, have sit down with me, have been on my show. Now it's more, it's less about my age and more about the actual questions that I'm asking. And so now I find I don't get interviews. They may say it's because of my age. Yeah. It's definitely not. It's because of the questions I'm asking because they don't want to answer the questions, which is my favorite thing, which is, which is great for me. I, I really, you know, I, pre I appreciate the questions about my age. I never like to play the age card. Um, I, I don't do it when I'm reporting on uh, stories, you know, like like the one that happened on uh, yesterday. Yeah. I, I don't like to play the age card um, because you know I'm trying to do uh, I'm trying to do the work of of any that you know any could do. So, if it makes you feel any better, when we first started doing the show about five years ago, uh, we got picked up in the in the newspaper and like a little TV spot about us, and it was literally just like now now what is a podcast? Is this <laughs> like the radio? So. Well, I, <laughs> I can tell you, I've had a YouTube, um, I, I've had so many, I've had so many of, of these, like these mispronunciations of, of what I do. I, I, somebody called it a blog once, we'll which blog. was funny to me because like, I, I was kind of like, and I, this is going to make you feel old again. I was kind of after the blog thing. Yes, you were. I got into it after blogs weren't really cool anymore. Um, although my dad does have a blog. So if he's listening to this, you should check out his blog, Appropriately Ambitious, mm -hmm. uh, about inclusive education for students with disabilities. But um, yeah, I kind of, you know, I, there, there's a lot of, it's funny, new media is just, it's a, it's a different, it's a different world. And especially for, uh, you know, when you're covering local events, it's uh, people that sometimes you have to say, <laughs> What's what's a Twitter again? I don't know. I, I I've never seen a, a twit before. You know. Have you? Uh, <laughs> how have you dealt with sort of the? I mean, we don't get it quite as much on the show anymore because at this point in time, people who follow the the pod on Twitter or Facebook or they already know what we're all about, sort of. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what kind of have you? Were you prepared for any sort of like social media pushback you would get doing politics coverage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um. It never. It never. It never bothers me. Um, I, whenever the only thing that will get my blood pumping and it doesn't really bother, like, I don't think about it for long. Um, but it's when someone again, engages in a bad faith discussion or bad faith argument, or just says things that aren't true. Um, and, and I, and I know like once I get the facts out there and once I make my argument, if it gets to a point where they're making bad faith arguments over and over again, I leave, I don't respond. Um, but yeah, no, I, I expected pushback. I've gotten a lot of it. Um, but the thing is, is that, you know, today, 
it's a lot of pushback from Republicans. On days where I cover things like the Berdissi spectrum issue or ask Berdissi tough questions about uh, Cuomo in the nursing homes or you know allegedly defunding the police, it's the other way around. It gets reversed. You know, it's so funny to me. I, I, the one day there was one of Tenney's campaign aides who tweeted out a video from like from my uh, YouTube video, like screen recorded and posted a video. Didn't give me credit for it, but said great coverage. Uh, and I said, exclamation point. And then the next day he blocked me on Twitter for fact-checking something that Tenny said on, on, uh, on, on, in a tweet. I mean, and then I said, and I took like a screenshot of the one thing and a screenshot of the other said, you know, you know, Spencer Carr, a timeline. It was just, it was so ridiculous. I mean, it's every day, but that's how I know I'm doing it right. It's that, you know, when I'm, you know, people have made allegations that I've been paid by campaigns. Mm. Paid without evidence because it's totally bogus, but they've made allegations. And I said this uh, one time when, when someone was asking me about it, I said, I've had people make allegations that I'm being paid by the Tenney campaign, by the Merdisi campaign, by the George Phillips campaign. I, I'm being paid for by all these campaigns, but you know what that means? I mean, I'm being paid for by none of them. I'm doing my job exactly right. I could so. use some money if someone would give me some money. Like someone would, I, I could use some they, advertising. These payroll. And I like, I, I tweeted at Perdisi. I'm like, hey, where's my check? When am I going to the next meeting, man? Like, I, you know, I need this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get a car. I mean, seriously, I need, uh, I need some money, man. Well, you actually, you kind of bring up a really interesting point. And it's something we've talked about in the show. You know, I have said openly, you know, last time during the, the first campaign, I thought Brendan Dissey ran a really smart race. He tried to, you know, stick between this. I work with both parties. I know that I appeal to this district. And Claudia really leaned into the, I'm doing Trump's thing. And I said at the time, if she had run an actual campaign and not done so far into I'm with Trump, she probably could have won. Why do you think it is that they don't seem interested in going after like actual discussion issues like what you had said about, you know, um, we've talked about spectrum prices, we've talked about different things. How come they don't seem to want to attack those and seem more with just going party lines? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, it, I I find it hard to speak about the 2018 campaign because like I said, you know, I started covering local politics in April of 2018 with the downtown hospital series. So I kind of jumped into it a little bit like late, like in the middle of things. That sure. was right in her uh, Democrats mass shooter comments, if you remember oh, yeah. those. I do. Um, so, so I, I didn't cover those cause I didn't, I was fresh to the scene. Um, I didn't, I didn't really know what was going on there. Um, so let me, let me think. Yeah, I think I've pointed this out before in, in my analysis. I think she's running a base election this time. And and it could have been the case that she, she ran it last time. I went to the Trump event when she brought Trump to the district yep. uh, and, and reported on that. I was, you know, it, it was, I thought, you know, I think running a Trumpy base election does have some value in it. Sure. Uh, the won the district by 15 points in 28 or 2016. Uh, I will counter that with the fact that somehow Brindisi won the district two years later. Um, so, she, you know, somehow the uh, 17 point zip happened. Um, and, you know, the question is whether or not she'll be able to make up that gap. Yeah. Uh, it's unclear to me how making uh, these false and misleading claims as she's yeah. done repeatedly in advertisements that we've covered um, about issues that 
don't seem to be particularly relevant. Right. Uh, and and there, there are things that they talk about um, that do people do care about. They care about police. They care about, some people do care about impeachment. Um, but, you know, that's fine for like an ad or two, but you yeah. need to talk about your own record. You served in Congress. You know, you did things for veterans. You did things for farmers. Where are the ads about that? I haven't exactly. seen them. I've been looking. I haven't seen them. Brindisi has ads out about what he's done for farmers and for veterans. He also has ads out about Spectrum. I think Spectrum is the stupidest issue of the campaign. I think it is so dumb that he spent yep. all of 2018, he spent a lot of money in 2018 putting out the Spectrum ads and you know doing all this outrage about, oh, Spectrum wouldn't air my ad. Like, okay, cool. Like, I, I think it's such a non-issue that, you know, I... A few people might have called his assembly office and said, hey, my cable bills are too high. But no, there was, I don't know where the polling was that says, and now this is two elections, that two election cycles need to be spent on something that is arguably not even like an issue that can be solved by a congressperson. Yeah. Um, and, mean, unless and, unless yeah. somebody's desperately going after the the corrupt cable companies, which are is a real thing. Yeah. That's not even a political issue. <laughs> is try to introduce legislation, yeah. which hasn't happened. Uh, well, he, he did try to, he introduced legislation, but it's been stuck in committee for, you know, a year and a half now. Um, so, to, so to come back and say, I've held Spectrum accountable is a little rich. Yeah. Uh, he writes letters to the FEC, big whoop. <laughs> I could write a letter to the FCC. Yeah. And, you know, he does the, the state commission. It's just, it's all like bully pulpit type, type stuff. If you're going to make a campaign promise that you're going to like keep rates low and attack Claudia Tenney, that rates are going up and say that, you know, you know, she's letting Spectrum get away with it. When now we turn around two years later and Spectrum rate, you know, is still jacking up rates. Yeah. I haven't had a chance to ask him those questions yet. Uh, I, like I said, I, I got to do an interview with him on, uh, last Saturday, but the campaign uh, walk and talk interview, the campaign asked that I keep my questions to uh, just the things that he was doing at the event. So I talked about again the the police reform and the um, the nursing homes because we you know we walked by a nursing we spoke to the staff there about what's been going on during the pandemic. So I kept my questions to that. I would still like to ask him about that. Obviously, I've I've tried to schedule an interview, and you know he's always welcome. But um, you know, yeah, it's just. Um... I feel like the dialogue is so broken. It really is just very broken for, for both campaigns. Um, I just from an analytical standpoint, I mean, I'm watching the comparisons of the two ads that the campaigns are running. It's not really close. Like uh, every, almost every single ad. I mean, I, I remarked when, when the Biden team pulled their negative ads after the president tested positive for COVID, I said, if the Tenney team pulled all their negative ads, they'd be pulling all of their ads. All of their like ads. pretty much there is, I think I've seen one or two ads that like focus on her record and maybe half of one of them didn't attack Brindisi. Like that's it. Like it's, it's, I understand you're running against an incumbent but you also were the incumbent and you have a record to run on and you should. So that's just my take. That's my analytical take. Um, Luke, I want to get to lightning round questions but I feel like I want to talk I'm sorry, I lost you there for a second. No, no, so no problem. I, they, that's just my take. They probably don't listen to me for uh, campaign strategy advice anyway. So that's the one. You know what, though? Honestly, you know, the fact that you're even on this show 
means you're probably going to get some Brindisi blowback because Brindisi has been on this show many times and people just assume that we're shills for Brindisi. Yeah. When the reality was that Brindisi came on the show when he was an assemblyman all the way back in episode like 17. He's been coming on the show for a really long time. I'm just lucky that he happened to get into Congress because otherwise I don't think I'd have access to him. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, You know, I I like interviewing him. I, I, you know, I like interviewing anybody. I like talking to anybody. So, uh, so let's talk a little bit about what happened. Uh, and, and you can tell me a little bit about this story because you sent me the ads today and I've seen it going on. So what was it? Some sort of, you went down to cover the Tenney rally at the Herkimer VFW. This was on the weekend. This was uh, yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. Sunday. I don't know when this is. So yeah, Sunday, uh, the 4th. So can you tell me a little bit, I've seen, I've read the WIBX article and I'll, I'll link it as well for people if they want to see it, but can you tell me a little bit for our, our listeners about what happened and, and how you're feeling about it today? Sure. Um, I try to frame the story by establishing a timeline of things that happen. And this is based not on just kind of like an, an analytical view again, because like I said, I'd like to keep it, you know, straight up journalism. This is based on sources within the Tenney campaign that I spoke to on the ground that day and after the event about what happened, why it happened, uh, and, you know, what can I do in the future to make sure it doesn't happen again? Um, so on Saturday afternoon, uh, Claudia Tenney, the congressional candidate on Twitter, uh, and I don't know whether she's in control of her Twitter or not. I assume that she is. Um, she tweeted out a thoroughly debunked conspiracy theory about the death toll of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, I recognize this theory. Um, someone told me this morning that it might be related to QAnon. I don't know, but it's a common conspiracy theory that was spread actually by the president. It was, it's been spread by Republicans uh, that has been thoroughly debunked by uh, the CDC, Dr. Fauci, and you know all reputable news outlets. And so I pointed that out. Uh, I fact-checked that. Um, I provided links to all the articles. Um, I didn't provide an opinionated take. I just said, look, this claim is false. We need to call it what it is. It's false. And provided links to all of uh, the articles fact-checking it. The next day, um, I arrived at this campaign event. Now, I'll tell you that I had uh, spoken to both an official on the campaign, the staff member on the campaign, and the organizer of the event. It's two separate individuals because the event's actually not organized by the campaign. It's organized by a a separate group, the Mohawk Valley CMY for Trump. Um, But I spoke to both of them, made clear my intentions to come to an event and do something similar, like I said, to the walk and talk interview I'd done with Anthony Bernissi covering the event, taking pictures, taking videos, clips, um, things of that nature. And so uh, I arrived at the event, the campaign knew I was gonna be coming to to an event uh, like this. And when I arrived, uh, a campaign staff member who I still haven't identified, I, I asked them to identify themselves, they didn't, came over and addressed me by name and said, Luke, you have to leave. Um, and so I said, I, I understand I'm here with the media. I, I was you know, invited here by uh, the organizer of the event and I don't know why I have to leave. I'm here to cover the event. And so I went over to where the media was and went over to their area um, of the event and started taking pictures and videos. I wasn't getting anywhere near the candidate. Um, I wasn't taking, you know, getting close or asking questions. Um, I was just taking photos and videos. The campaign staff alerted police of my presence and alerted the owners of the venue uh, to come over and have me escorted from the property. Um, 
So, so at that point, that that's happening at the Herkimer VFW. Yes, uh, they're doing chicken dinner drive-through, um, and they have me taken. Uh, so I said, okay, where does their property end, and where can I stand? And they said, right here on the sidewalk. You can zoom in and take photos and videos. Great. So I'm taking photos and videos from a distance. I'm not really getting any good high quality stuff. Like I, I like to have high quality video and photos uh, for my article, but you know what? Fine. I'm not going to step on the property. I don't want to get arrested for trespassing uh, for some reason. Um, and so there was that. Um, but then as, as they moved to a different part of the event, I, you can see I did the walk and talk with the Congresswoman, asked her why she promoted a demand coronavirus conspiracy theory. Didn't answer that question. She answered my first question, why are you here today? And uh, she said, I want to tell people to vote for vote Republican. Uh, so that was, I know she heard me and I know she was there to answer my questions, but she didn't answer the second one. Um, I asked her repeatedly why she uh, tweeted that out. And then I forgot to note, six hours after I posted my report, she deleted the tweet. That's she right. She got, she got rid of the tweet. So obviously, you know, I'd sent it to senior officials in her campaign and said, hey, what's the deal here? I've asked for a statement, asked for clarification sources inside the campaign. Um, and the tweet was deleted six hours later. Um, so I asked her, why did you delete the tweet? Did you believe that the coronavirus death toll is accurate? Um, wouldn't answer. Then as I'm trying to take pictures of the public portion of the events on public property, she's standing there, the media's there, they've got their photo, you know, the, the other media is taking their videos and photos. And this gentleman who came up to me at the beginning, uh, he had a near piece on, and he was coordinating with other campaign staff members, with members of the crowd, event attendees, asking people, just random people in the crowd to hold up their signs and stand in front of me and block my path, block my view, block my cameras. So I couldn't take pictures or videos of the event. The event that I was invited to, the event where she was speaking in public to a group of people, including the media. Um, it, was, it was a concerted effort. Um, and again, I said, I spoke to, to people on the ground there with the campaign and, and after the fact, and they said, you know, it's, because of the things that you have been reporting. It's because of the fact that you've been, you know, doing things like fact checking um, that tweet. So I'm, I'm able to, you know, it is probable <laughs> and, and, you know, and from an analytical standpoint, likely that the reason why uh, they tried to block me from the event by escorting me away uh, with police, by blocking my shot, by, uh, you know, becoming physically aggressive at certain points, even on tape. And we have, we have that video as well, uh, which has actually gotten over 3000 views now as I'm looking at it, goodness, uh, and, and 24 hours, wow. Um, but yeah, so that is the reason why, is this retaliation for covering the facts of their campaign, so. Are you concerned uh, with anything going forward in terms of coverage before the election? Or do you feel like they'll, you know, there's only so much they can really do to you? So I was really, I'll say this, I was really glad because I was gonna, you know, I, my uh, family dropped me off at the Brindisi event yeah. um, and I was there by myself and I just, you know, kind of walked and talked with the candidate and then they picked me up after it was done. Um, my dad decided to stay for this one um, and was there with a separate camera angle of what was happening, was there kind of sticking up for me on my behalf. Uh, preventing me from, you know, from anyone getting physically aggressive. They, they were storming up to me. At one point, uh, I asked someone to keep their social distance because I wanted to be safe. And they said, if you want to be safe, get off my property. Um, so so I, and I took that as a threat and I, I believe it was. Um, 
I am, I am greatly, I was greatly concerned for my safety that day. Um, if I intend to cover an event in the future, uh, which I don't know at this point, if I, if I feel comfortable doing so, to be honest, um, I will obviously be covering it, but I don't know if I'll attend an event like that uh, because I'm still concerned for my safety. I'm concerned for, um, I'm concerned for my health. I'm concerned for my physical well-being. Uh, and of course, folks, we're talking to Luke Riddell of Elected News. You can follow him on Twitter at Elected News, or you can follow him on YouTube at Elected News. Anywhere else I'm missing that you want to promote right now? No, yeah, the ads are actually, uh, I, I just want to make sure that people are able to find me. It's at Luke Radel on Twitter, um, R-A-D-E-L. And then if you're looking for me on YouTube, uh, you can do LukeRadel.com and it'll take you right there. And I'll uh, I'll do my best to share everything on Twitter and Facebook and stuff awesome. too, so people can... Yeah. There. Uh, Luke, I want to thank you for joining us today. Before I let you go, uh, we do our lightning round questions. These are the same six questions we ask everybody uh, who comes on this show. I did come up with one special question for you specifically, though, okay? Oh, great. Awesome. All right. So as I've mentioned, I'm very old. I'm 34 years old, um, and I'm a big professional wrestling fan. That is where I first in, found, like, that I didn't like Donald Trump. Donald Trump is very connected to early professional wrestling and a lot of like 90s culture that I yeah. felt strongly about. Home Alone 2, a lot of things that haunt <laughs> me to this day. But for your, <laughs> for your generation, what did you guys associate Trump with before this? I'm so curious. Ooh. Um, just kind of general celebrity, frankly. Like he's just kind of a rich guy. I mean, he was on The Apprentice. He did like the McDonald's commercials. Yeah. He's just kind of like a, you know, kind of a cartoonish billionaire guy. Um, I mean, the birther thing, he was on, you know, yeah. morning while, you know, trying to, you know, obviously stir up this crackpot conspiracy theory that I wasn't born in America. Um, so that was really, that was how I knew him. Yeah. Uh, kind of as this cartoony, uh, <laughs> air, you know, the, uh, the, the poor man's idea of what rich being rich is. Yeah. Um, that was how I, uh, no. Well, I just think it's so interesting, you know, because I've I think about it because I'm a like I'm a guy who's looking to be a history teacher and you know, I have a master's degree in American history and education, all that kind of stuff. And I am so distraught for how I'm going to have to spend the next like 20 years explaining this to like oh, yeah. my, kids, my students. Same way they did with uh, curriculum, you know, with uh, modern U.S. history. I always remember it went from, you know, for, for U.S. it went from obviously, you know, 1492 to 2001 because they had to kind of stretch things back because of what happened on 11. Now it's going to be 1492 to 2020 and 2021, like basically, whoa, what happened? It's going to be like, you know, chapters thick of, of you know, coronavirus and racial unrest. And, you know, it's, it's like 1968 on top of 1918 on top of 1945. It's like, goodness gracious. But yeah. Uh, Luke, are you ready for your lightning round questions? I am so ready. Let's do this. Uh, Luke, when you wake up in the morning, how do you take your coffee? I don't drink coffee. I don't drink anything but water. So no caffeine at all. Nothing, nothing at all. It's, <sighs> it's all water for me. Yeah. Huh. So what do you do if you're like down in the dumps? You just drink more water, you drink a bottle of water. I am a chocoholic. Mm. So if I am feeling, if I've had a particularly rough day, I will have now it's seasonal. So it's Reese's pumpkins. Mm. Um, or yep. this is in the house. Uh, I can't keep my hands off of those and you can't have just one. I have a few. We normally ask people what their first automobile is. Am I under the impression that you do not first have your automobile yet? Do it's my first and only uh, black <laughs> Nissan Sentra. Hey, all right, 
Nissan yeah. Sentra. I like it. Yeah, it's neutral. You know what? <laughs> I had a Dodge <laughs> Neon. It was my first one. It was a piece of junk. Uh, you may or may not have taken your car to see it, obviously. What was the first live music event you've ever attended? Um, my parents always took me to, to live music events because I'm, I'm a big music fan. Uh, so I'm sure that I've, see, I've seen music events before. Uh, the one I'm going to tell you, um, and I, they're escaping my brain at the moment. The first one I remember seeing and the first one I really love seeing uh, was for a children's rock group called the Imagination Movers. I don't know if you heard of them. They used to have a show on uh, the Disney Channel uh, back in 2008. Uh, yeah. They are the nicest guys in the whole world. Four guys from uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, four dads uh, who formed a you know children's rock group. And I've gotten to meet them several times and we actually, you know, are kind of friends now. And I, I brought them to the area actually to Utica for our Down Center support group. So uh, that is the first live music event I've seen. And uh, they're still one of my favorite bands to this day. <laughs> uh, if you could have dinner with any person living or dead who is not your relative, who would it be and why? This is such a tough question. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, now I would say Claudia Tenney, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Um, and that, that, that would be a little bit hostile. It would end with me being escorted off by police. So, um, let me think this is so, this is so tricky. It's a good, it's a great question. It's our trickiest um, question. I'd ask, I'd ask, uh, hmm, this is so hard. I'm very sorry. Uh, Walter Cronkite. I want to know that. Yeah. Yeah. Cronkite. Yeah. I just feel like, you know, that is, um, that is a guy who who covered the news in a time where it was very difficult to cover the news, similar to now. He covered it straight up the middle. He had the trust of the people. Uh, so I want to ask, you know, how'd you do it? How'd you, how'd you pull it off? How'd you thread that needle? In a similar vein, I'm just rereading or rereading parts of Dan Rather's book that came out earlier this a uh, couple years ago. It's called What Unites Us. And it really makes me feel good about like yeah. parts of my life that I've been feeling sad about. Yeah. Well, this is this has been my uh, latest read lately. I uh, I got it the day it came out, but I'm still working through it. I got Rage by Bob. Oh, you got Rage. That, that's a little bit different of a read. It doesn't quite make you feel so great about uh, about where we're going as a country, but you know, it's it's fascinating. It's a great book. Well, you answered one aspect of my next question already, which was going to be: give me one book, album, movie, or television show you are currently reading, listening to, or watching. So, if you want to give me something besides a book. I'm also reading uh, Hoax by Brian Stelter, who's mm. a CNN correspondent. Yep. Uh, the link Fox News and Donald Trump. That one is really fast. It just kind of explains the whole language of Trump, which is which is fascinating to me. Um, let me see. Movie. Um, what's a what's a really good movie? Um, I always like watching A Few Good Men. That's a really good one. Uh, Jack, no- you can't handle the truth. Yeah, classic. How I felt yesterday. Uh, so, so that's a great one. And then I always like, uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. It's always a a very, very good one. Uh, Princess Bride. I like, I like movies like that. And then TV show. I always watch The Office. Um, great show. Psych is another good one. I feel like underrated one. It is an underrated one. Classic. And I've been watching The West Wing. I'm on, uh, season three. I'm working through it. I really, really like that show. So it's, it's very well written. Um, what was you the other Veep? one? Have you watched Veep yet? I haven't. No. No, Veep's worth your time if you like politics. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. So that I'll put that on the uh, the watch list. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, and I have one last question for you before I let you go. And as I mentioned, I'm bad at technology. So after we answer this question, I'm just going to do the outro. Uh, besides politics, journalism, uh, local elections, everything you've been doing on social media, give me one more thing, Luke Riddell, that you are passionate about. Well, I did already kind of mention it. Uh, um, rights for people with disabilities. Um, my brother Mark has Down syndrome and uh, I'm a member, a board member actually of our uh, local Down syndrome support group, the 21 Club. I encourage people, October is Down syndrome awareness month. Uh, so I encourage people to go support the 21 Club, the21club.org. Um, and we've been having a lot of events and you know, it's really great to interact with people in this community and you know, obviously, uh, you know, raise more awareness about Down syndrome and, and what it is and how amazing people with Down syndrome can be. Uh, again, at Luke Riddell on Twitter, Elected News on YouTube. I will link everything afterwards. Luke, thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. Uh, good luck with the next 28 days and we'll talk again soon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and uh, please don't hesitate me to hesitate to call me back on. Appreciate you, brother. Thank you so much. Take care. No problem. Bye-bye. Soon, within a couple weeks, I'll be, I'll be banging out these. Oh, yeah. It'll it's, be like a duck to watch. I mean, they don't make these these MacBooks hard to use. That's for sure. No, it's super user-friendly. Uh, I can't believe I've been suckered into the Mac family so hard. I, they really, they own me. Everything I own yeah, is a Mac. Been, they own you. It yeah. was, I blame Hipster Runoff. I do blame Hipster <laughs> Runoff. Uh, thanks again to uh, Luke Riddell, Elected News. Uh, follow him on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, again, a lot more content coming out as we get closer and closer, 28 days and counting to Election Day 2020. It really feels like time has stood still for four years in a weird way. Even with all the terrible things that have happened, mm. it feels like it's like a fog. I know it's, It just does. I don't know how to explain it. Mm. I, I don't... Uh, yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's do some history lessons this week. You you got lucky last week because we, we skipped out of history lessons, but you have a mm. full... A full stack. Are we back to the, the Weimar Republic? No, no, no Weimar Republic this week. Um, you snuck one in in the first half, too. I already heard a history lesson, too. So. That was a pretty good one, though. I like that. That yeah, was bad. All right. On this day, 1866, the brothers John and Simone Reno staged the first train robbery in American history, making out with $13,000 from an Ohio and Mississippi railroad train in Jackson County, Indiana. Wow. Uh, trains had been robbed before, uh, but previous crimes had all been burglar burglaries of stationary trains sitting at depots or freight yards. The Reno brothers' contribution was to stop a moving train in a sparsely populated region where they could carry out their crime without risking interference from curious bystanders. This is like what you see in, like, movies. <laughs> what a crime, right? I feel like if I get arrested for robbing a stagecoach and they arrest me, I feel all right about it. Like, what did you get in for? I robbed a train. It's badass. It's badass, man. You're on a horse. You're riding down there in the desert. Uh, yeah, though credited in Indiana, the Reno Brothers' original method of trains became very popular in the West. Uh, discovering the newly, newly constructed transcontinental and regional railroads made attractive targets. Uh, Western economy was also booming, so a lot of these trains were already carrying large amounts of cash and precious minerals. 
Uh, and like they said, these are wide open spaces. They would attack in the middle of the desert, so it would take a long time for somebody to get out there. Railroad owners said, no, 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 this, this can't stand, though. <laughs> uh, they're not allowed to let them sit back and do this. So train robbers would find increasingly as time went on that, you know, they would have these giant, massive, well-protected safes. Or they would have total uh, cars set up with guards and horses. So that when the train was stopped, they could essentially open up a train car and drop out the cavalry mm. to come get you. Smart idea. Which is pretty good. Uh, I mean, crime feels different now in the world we live in today. We so live in the you world can't rob no train can't today. Rob can a train. Riding up to a train, Amtrak going 90 miles an hour. It's just a further thing. Like I was talking about this last week, like the assassination stuff from like 43 BC. Sometimes I read history stuff and it feels like it's the same world we live in. And sometimes it feels like it's made up. This feels like it's from a different country than we live in today. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. Somebody did this? I don't know. Oh, yeah. I don't know if I believe it. Uh, all right. Who else do I have in here today? Oh, on this date. So we're moving right into the 90s, actually. That was it. 90s and on from now on here. Uh, on this day, 1974. Uh, American... How was that the 90s? 1974? Oh, oh, I mean, 19, yeah, 1900s. Okay. I mean, yeah, yeah, 1900s. I mean, the 90s. Pardon me, pardon me. Uh, American David uh, Kunst completes the first round-the-world journey on foot. It took him four years and 21 pairs of shoes to complete the 14,500-mile journey across the land masses of four continents. Pretty wild. You're trying to think about the logistics of this? Correct. <laughs> well, I would imagine he walked... Let me see what it says here, right? He left his hometown in Minnesota on June 20th, 1970. Near the end of the journey in 1974. Let me see what it says. Uh, he accompanied his brother... Uh, should I have to do... Uh, a second. After returning to Minnesota, he... Okay. Bear with me one second. It looks like he was... Started in Minnesota. He got to Afghanistan and was shot to death... His brother was shot to death by bandits, and he was shot as well. He returned home to recuperate, and then traveled back again to continue his global journey with another brother named Peter. Pretty wild. Uh, that seems unreal to me. I don't know how you would do it. I guess you would... I'm thinking about you could start in, like, South America. And he couldn't. How would you do it? Doesn't make any sense. Huh. I by the by foot I just what did he did he walk across the Bering Land Bridge the Bering. North Pole <laughs> Maybe. like what are we that's what I'm I mean what did you just like hop and skip around the Falkland because what I don't want to hear Sam and what I'm afraid I'm going to hear when I do further research is that this man hopped on a boat somewhere did he, and so well I don't cheapen what he did because I'm not certainly walking across the entire country let alone the world or whatever. To say you walked solely walked continuously around the world when you took a boat across an ocean <laughs> is a lie. I'm going to have to do some more deep research on this. We're going to do something after this when the show's over. I'm going to look this up. We're going to have to do something else. We're really bringing them to the table on these history lessons. It was a long day. Give me a break. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, listen, no, this is your penance. You have to go walk the world now. I do. I have to walk the world now. <laughs> 21 pairs of shoes seems crazy to me, but then I was also mm, thinking... 14,000 miles. Also, though, the technology in shoes in the 70s. Sure, I was wearing, like, chucks. Probably, Probably, really, like the, if the apex like stuff was just canvas sewn together, they don't have because now some of these companies and they have walking and hiking shoes. The technology is so insane in the materials that you could oh, probably yeah. do it with, like, one or two pairs of shoes. One pair of Tevas. You'd still be used to be wearing <laughs> them right now. Are those the creepy toe shoes? No. Those are... 
There's nothing on the planet that makes me more uncomfortable than creepy toe shoes. I've heard they're amazing, but the only people who've ever told me they're amazing are people who have them. So. I would dump a woman who I was dating if I found out she had them. I bet Heather's got them. <laughs> I'm kicking her off the podcast. We're going to find out. Shout out to Heather. Heather, tweet Sam if you've got those toe shoes. Uh, so every week we do uh, a history lesson, then I go, have we done this one before? Oh, this I think, one. I think we've done this one before. Mm-hmm. This one I know we've done before. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway, because mm-hmm. it's one of my favorites, and it's important that you all know it. On this day, 1986, the Iran-Contra scandal unraveled before the world. Oh. Uh, U.S. Marine Eugene Hassenfuss, uh, pardon me if I said that incorrectly, was captured by Sandinistas in Nicaragua after the plane in which he was flying was shot down. Under questioning, he confessed that he was shipping military supplies into Nicaragua for use by the Contras, who were an anti-Sandinista force who had been created and funded by the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, most dramatically, he claimed that operation was really run by the U.S. Central Intelligence Agency. Correct. Uh, in response to the CIA carrying out a series of acts of sabotage without congressional intelligence committees being made aware, in 19... I forget what year it was, but Congress passed the Bol- oh, sorry, the Boland Act in 1984. The Bolin Act specifically forbids the CIA or any other U.S. agency from supporting the Contras. President Reagan, who saw the Sandinista government as a puppet of the Soviet Union, uh, had secured U.S. funding for the Contras in 1981. And he had signed off on the Bolin Agreement, but he wasn't, like, happy about it. He didn't mm-hmm. love it, right? Uh, so if Hassan Fuss's story was true, this means that the CIA and Reagan had broken the law and despite denials from the president and uh, Vice President George Bush and other Reagan officials that the CIA had nothing to do with this, uh, persistent investigations by journalists and Congress. I'm just going to highlight that part. Consistent investigations by journalists and Congress began to unravel the so-called Iran-Contra scandal. Uh, the scandal involved the secret sale of U.S. weapons to Iran. Uh, some of the proceeds of those sales were used to covertly fund the Contra War in Nicaragua, thus breaking the Boland Amendment, mm-hmm. which is technically high treason. I'm just gonna throw right, right. <laughs> now, uh, since a lot of bad people did a lot of bad things during Iran-Contra, but very few of them went to jail compared to how many people did bad things, I have a quick question for you as my historian pal. Yeah. Who was the corrupt ghoul of a lawyer that got all of these Iran-Contra criminals off and made sure they didn't do jail time? Do you know his name? Oh, is it Rudy Giuliani? No, 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 no. It is our current Attorney General, William Barr. Oh, it's William Barr! Yeah, yeah, Bill Barr back again to uh, to hide the bodies and do the skeleton digging. Yeah, yeah, he's the one who got all those fucking crooks off. Well, here's another name you you might know if you watch Fox News, or you did watch Fox News, or you're in the NRA. Uh, a congressional investigation began. You live in, on the moon. Can you hear us? <laughs> began in 1986, uh, revealing the scheme to the public. Many figures from the Reagan administration were called to testify, including Marine Lieutenant Colonel Oliver North, who was the action officer in charge of co- uh, coordinating both the arms sales and the funneling of money to the uh, money to the Contras. His testimony, in particular, demonstrated the cavalier attitude taken by the Reagan administration toward the flaunting of congressional resolutions and acts. Uh, the resulting scandal rocked the Reagan administration and shook the public's confidence in the U.S. government. Eleven members of the administration were eventually convicted of a variety of charges relating to the scandal. Uh, and yet somehow, Oliver North still on TV. Everyone's fine. No one cared. It's all good. Uh, you can look to up... To be fair, they got a lot of criminals on that, on that channel. Yeah. A lot of people who are criminals who are not going to push your correspondent jobs. Uh, 
Hassenfest, the uh, the Marine who initially started all this, who shot down and ended this out, was tried and sentenced to a 30-year imprisonment by a Nicaraguan court, mm. but was released just a few weeks later. I saw somebody on Twitter a couple weeks ago who made a joke, and it was like, um, this is the finale to the story. Like, what's going on right now in the world is the finale to the story that started uh, at the when Bush took the election from Gore. Like, this is the sliding doors moment. This is the end of that story. Uh, like, you know what I'm saying? Would, no, that was the middle of this story that started with the Reagan stuff. Yeah. It started in the 80s, the Reagan stuff. Yeah, yeah. I go back to say this is the start of it. Yeah. This is your sliding doors moment. We talked about sliding doors moment last 100%. week. I feel like this is the sliding doors moment to where we are. 100%, today. yeah. It was, yeah. A, there was a big shift in the tail end of the 70s and all the 1980s. Yeah, it's a history. Here's the thing is that, when, and you know this because mm. you are a history teacher. Um, when we go back and we read about history and we learn about history, you know, it's, it's overarching things that we learn about, but we're learning about big chunks of time and little pieces. But so life, we tend to think year to year and day to day and week to week and even, you know, a couple of years, a couple of years, decade to decade, but in real, you know, realistically history moves in much, much broader scales of time. So it might sound wild to a lot of people, but it's not wild to explain that a lot of this stuff that happened in the 80s with the Reagan administration and Iran-Contra is still playing out today with many of these same guys like Oliver North and Bill Barr and a whole bunch of other guys still out there being players on the scene. Like, uh, history speaks in paragraphs, so to speak. And for folks who wonder why I keep bringing the story up every year it comes around, it's because mm-hmm. I was born in 1986. I didn't know any of this until I went to college. I was a, I had to be a 20th century Latin American revolutions history major before this story crossed my plate. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, this story was not something that I, like, was common knowledge in history classes of me growing up. I had to, like, get to college to learn all this stuff. So if you've never heard this story before, like, go look it up. It's right out there. Everywhere. You can read it everywhere. It's like a well-known thing. It's fine. Uh, All right. Move on to something a little bit lighter. This day, 1990, Henry and June opens in America and becomes the first NC-17 film shown in theaters. Do you know what Henry and June is about? I had no idea. I had to look it up. So Henry and June is set in Paris in the early 1930s, and it's about Henry Miller, the writer of Tropic of Cancer, and his wife June, and their sort of bizarre love triangle with a French writer named Aeneas Nee. Aeneas Nee? Nee? I said that probably wrong. The movie contained lesbian sex scenes and nudity. Oh, no. So, NC-17 oh. rating. It did garner for an... heaven's o- sake. For heaven's, heavens to Betsy. Lesbianism. Uh, it garnered a social uh, Oscar nomination for its cinematography, but critical reviews were mixed. Um, the reason, and we've talked about this before in the past, the reason the NC- uh, NC-17 rating came around was because the X rating had, was thought to have become too closely associated with porn, which is not... Right, right. Which is not what it was initially meant for, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, then you started getting to a thing where newspapers and TV stations are no longer advertising for things that are rated X, and video stores, like it, when that was a thing, Blockbuster Video is not putting out X-rated videos to rent. Yeah, so. X-rated became a term to mean like the term became to mean a whole a whole other thing. NC-17 does not mean "quote unquote" obscure or pornographic in the common legal meaning of the words, right? The rating simply suggests that content is appropriate for an adult audience. Uh, a lot of people believe this to be like the kiss of death for a movie because there's some argument that people will not go see an NC-17 movie. True. Or... Yeah, yeah. I can't really think of anyone's off the top of my head. I pulled up a list uh, of that we'll go through, and I'll see if you know any of these movies. 
There's more than I thought it was, actually, when, yeah. I, when I went through it. Well, I feel like a big part of it, too, is nobody really makes them because who's who's financing that? If people don't think they're going to make mm-hmm. money on it, studios aren't going to finance it, no matter how interesting or artistic your script is. So the first one um, was 1990s Henry and June, obviously. Anything before this would have been released as what you'd call unrela- like un, uh, unrated, right? So 1972's Last Tango in Paris was re-released as NC-17 years later. That's where Marlon Brando goes to, like, France... Uh, Brent, uh, France and has sex with all sorts of women and it's kind of weird to watch. Not a great NC-17 flick. Unless you want to see late era Marlon Brando having sex, then, it, then it's a watch. Mm-hmm. How about Lust Caution? You ever heard that one? 2007? How about Blue is the Warmest Color? I feel like that was pretty mainstream for like 10 minutes. People yeah. were talking about that movie. Yeah, I know, I know of that. Did you ever see Bad Education 2004? You ever heard of this? No. How about The Cook, The Thief, His Wife, and Her Lover? What a ridiculous name. It should be get a poor rating just on their name. Here's one for you from 2003. It's called The Dreamers. Uh, it's sort of like a Last Tango in Paris takeoff. It's got Eva Green and Luis Garrel and a very young American actor named Michael Pitt. The reason I'm aware of this movie, The Dreamers, mm. is I was in high school when this movie came out. Mm. And I rented this movie with my girlfriend. Because oh. we thought it would be like, you know... It's not porn, certainly, but it's like a yeah, yeah. It's sexy, a, yeah. It's yeah. A sexy you were movie. Trying to, you were trying to get the vibe going. The vibe going. Yeah, you were trying to get the vibe going. Let me tell you something about The Dreamers. Yeah. This is the least sexy movie about people ostensibly having sex that you will ever see. Cool. It's like, it's the least erotic. Like, Quite often. It yeah. is Quite not often good. this kind of thing. Uh, it's all sorts of like, there's like weird sorts of like incest stuff, and it's like set in the 1960s. It's weird. It's a yeah. weird movie. I like Michael Pitt just fine, but I was like, I can't believe I spent a dollar at Hannaford to rent this in, in 2003 or wherever it was. Tough time. Uh, Bad Lieutenant, 1982, mm-hmm. starring Harvey Keitel. You ever see that one? Uh, I haven't seen it, but I'm a bit familiar with it. How about 2012's Killer Joe? Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hate this movie. <laughs> shout, yeah, out yeah. To, shout out to my good friend Eric, who made us watch this, and then got mad at me because he said, I quote-unquote, didn't watch the movie. I was on my phone the whole time. And I was like, yeah, because it wasn't very good. And then the self-defeating cycle continued for like 10 minutes where we yelled at each other. It's not a good movie. Uh, And then number 10, probably the most famous NC-17 movie of all time. mm -hmm. 1995's Showgirls. Right. Which is probably the death knell, I think, honestly, for an NC-17 movie. Because that movie didn't need to be NC-17. You didn't get anything from it. It wasn't like... That movie could have been R-rated, I feel like, if you cut it down... I think the rating... Well, if you would cut... Yeah, well, that's the... I don't think the well, rating... But I'm saying, like, what are you saying there? If you cut it down... Yeah, if you cut the stuff that made it NC-17, it could have been R. I just don't think that movie benefited from whatever the quote-unquote NC-17 rating added to it. Like, that I movie was... I, I don't think the NC-17 rating was done to add anything to it. I think... I, th- I think they were probably mad they got that. See, I think for that movie, they probably were like, oh, this is a good marketing campaign. It's too hot for an R rating. 95? Come on, we're getting into the too hot for TV. Is that 95? Are we doing that 95? Is that 98? I don't know. Is that Or is that early 2000s, am I thinking of? That's, yeah. Did we start getting, when did we start getting wild and crazy on TV? Is that the early 2000s? Yeah, you were a lot older than eight. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to think of when I was watching MTV Spring Break. That's like when I first feel like I started seeing things get wild on TV. Yeah, that was that. Man. That's that like that's that 12 to like 16 block, yeah. 11 to 16 block. Shout out to MTV Spring Break. What a time to be alive when you were like 15, 16 watching TV. You learn a lot about yourself watching MTV Spring Break. Thanks. Seeing Fred Durst out there watching Singled Out. What a time. 
Uh, all right, and we don't really... We've already gone pretty long on these history lessons. Um, let's go to the last one. This day, 2017, New York Times published the bombshell investigation into allegations about Harvey Weinstein. We need to dig into all of these. This feels like it happened a million years ago now. You see, he just got popped with like six more charges just the other day. Just, just the other day? Just stacking them on on top? Great to see. Um, I mean... It's like a really important moment that, again, it feels like a million years away now because of the, the way things have gone since 2017, right? Like, I mean, I kind of, I weirdly thought he was dead already. I thought that was not that sound stupid. Like, I thought he had died for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Like, his last time I saw him, he looked like he was about to. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's never, there's no redemption story for Weinstein no. ever. He's, he's gone, no. right? He's done. Yeah. What about the Weinstein company? Didn't he have a brother? What happened to him? Was his brother a jerk, too? I don't know if his brother uh, was a jerk. Probably. It's wild how many movies, though, when you look back, are like Weinstein movies that you, like, you grew up watching. It's pretty wild if you really look at all the amount. Well, there's a reason. I mean, you would ha- they, would, they would have to be. Yeah. To have that kind of power, you'd have to be put on movies. You know what I mean? We care some bum-ass studio. <laughs> like, oh, you better do what I want, or I'm not going to put you in pictures. It's like you've made one movie. Uh, <laughs> Your brother was the director. Get out of here. All right, let's uh, let's do some Doomsday Report while we're here. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, this Wait, have is... we not been doing Doomsday Report? No. <laughs> <laughs> I see. This is one I feel like you're in on already. Uh, this is from an article from World Crunch. It's called Pathogens in the Permafrost. Correct. A climate change health risk. Uh, deadly pathogens frozen in tens of thousands of years in the soil of the Arctic Circle have suddenly become freed and are reactivating because of global warming. It sounds like science fiction. Uh, but it is indeed really what's happening. Does it? You know, we talk about all the time about uh, we we've been you know we've been fans of uh, apocalypse fiction for years growing up yeah. since we were kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were always talking for a new way to end the world. This is it. Here's your next. Here's your apocalypse story. Any writers out there? It's a big one. I mean, here's the thing. Like, it, it, I understand that you know scientists are. Uh, like libtards not to be trusted or whatever it's true <laughs> but the simple fact of the matter remains you've got this permafrost you have organisms microorganisms things like that that were frozen in this place tens of thousands of years ago that have never met with the people we have now and if they come out it's not saying they're all going to be like a bunch of killer murder organisms but we don't know it could be anything <laughs> so here's a quote from uh, Jean Michael Claver, who was the French scientist working on this. Permafrost, which is the name given to geologists for the perpetually frozen and their, uh, therefore impermeable soil that covers no less than a fifth of the Earth's surface. Unlike sea ice, he says, permafrost offers all the conditions required for microbial life to be fully preserved for tens and even hundreds of thousands of years. He quote unquote called it a microbial Pandora's box. That's a real, uh, that's a real uplifting thought for you here yeah. today. Oh, so, boy. so yeah, the Doomsday Report. Uh, the permafrost is melting, and it's going to turn us all into zombies, and this is season eight of The Walking Dead. Ah, Nine. but actually, it's cold out today, so checkmate. Oh, that's a great point. Checkmate. Uh, here's one for you. I got a story that's a little bit nicer. You ready for this? Positive story? Bring me up. Uh, it's going to bring you up, Cole. Uh, Tasmanian devils have been reintroduced into the wild Ooh. in mainland Australia for the first time. In 3,000 years. Damn. That's right. Conservation groups released 26 of the mammals into a large sanctuary in Barrington Tops, north of Sydney. Love to see it. I don't know why I had to do that. I just I wanted to do one accent before we, before we did it. 
Uh, it's thought that packs of dingoes eradicated uh, Tasmanian devils throughout the mainland uh, initially. Makes so, sense. So Tasmanian devil, not just a, uh, a cartoon character or a professional wrestler anymore. Uh, so there you go. They're back. Back to see you. All right, what else we got? Uh, here's kind of an uplifting story. If you live in Sweden, uh, workers in Geneva, Switzerland, may see a bigger paycheck after voters there agreed to unveil a $25 an hour minimum wage. My goodness. Uh, minimum wage will go into effect November 1st, will repeatedly, uh, reportedly benefit 30,000 workers, two-thirds of whom are women. I mean, I know that the Swiss have a lot less people you know, than we do, and this is just one city. But 25 sounds pretty dope. Pretty dope. People are going to spend that money. Yes, we are. That's like, that's the thing. People will spend that money if you give them that money. People love to spend money. It's the dirty secret uh, for Americans. We love spending money. We can't help ourselves. It's I our- mean, if you if you think that this money is not going to be good for every local business that they have in that area, I'm telling you out of your mind. Yeah, no, I mean, great stuff. Raise the minimum wage. I mean, we need. We don't need to raise the minimum wage. We do. We just also need to make it so that it stays in line with what the prices are. I mean, like, what do you call that? Like a, like an ascending minimum wage or like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Where it's dependent on the markets around us, right? As prices go up, you're making more money. You know what I'm right. saying? Because what, what, everything got expensive and we all make the same money as we did like 40 years ago. Correct. Yeah. yeah we need yeah. to start some way to stop that. I don't know what the intellectual way of putting that phrase out there is. I mean, you've just got to, we need, we need to make sure that the minimum wage matches the cost of living. As the cost of living has risen over the last 40 years, and as worker productivity and business and corporate profits have both also risen over the last 40 years, the, the median salary and the, the minimum wage have stagnated and stayed the same. So, you know, if, if, if the people at the top have been making more money the whole time and things have been costing more money the whole time, but the people who work have been getting paid the same the whole time, that's obviously, you know, that type of top heaviness results in the chaos we have now because that's not a, a firm way to build a structure. Yeah. I mean... Great points all the way around. Let's move on. I have two more notes for you here today. One, this one's from Belgium. You heard this story? A once-secret daughter of the former Belgian King Albert has won a legal battle Mm. over her right to a royal title and will now officially be known as the Princess of Belgium. Mm. So, you got to be careful with those secret daughters you didn't know about because they come back. Especially if you're a Belgian king. If you're a Belgian king, maybe stop having so many secret daughters because they come back. And they become princess of I mean, Belgium. I don't know what the rules or laws are in Belgium for like what it what what benefits. I don't know what perks you get from being the princess, but I feel like if I'm the people in the royal family, like, if you want to call yourself the princess, okay, you're the princess, whatever. But I'm sure she gets like probably amenities and perks and access. I Means probably you're you're a superstar now. You're right. You're the you're the biggest person. Who wants in... that? Just give me the money. I don't want nobody to know my name. Uh, and let's stop in with a little food chat before we head out here today. Kevin, what are your thoughts on Subway, the restaurant? Uh, so what a trash pit! <laughs> what a what a horrible place! What a horrible. If anybody, if anybody ever tells you there's a viable reason you should eat at Subway other than the fact that literally everything else is closed and you're gonna die if you don't eat, well, you. well, we need to reach out to your pals in the Irish Supreme Court because they ruled on Tuesday uh, that the bread that Subway uses to make Subway sandwiches is not legally considered bread, yeah. at least in Ireland. Because they use the same stuff from yoga mats in the bread. <laughs> Ireland's Value Added Tax Act of 1972 had a very clear definition of what bread is, mm-hmm. essentially. Bread can't contain more sugar than 2% of the weight of the flour in its dough. 
Subway bread contains five times more sugar than that. So it isn't, it doesn't fall under their very clear definition of what is or is not bread. Yeah. So in Ireland, you can't get your Subway sandwich on bread. You got to get it on whatever. Just another, just another wild example <laughs> of like various things that are in our foods here that aren't legal in other countries. Uh, they call it, I think they want to say, in fact, a six inch Subway roll contains the same amount of sugar as two digestive cookies and slightly less than a Big Mac bun. I don't know what that means. What's a digestive cookie? It must be some uh, like sort of little, like a, a Belvita or like some sort of oh, I see. Kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like a little like cookie that you have with, uh, with coffee. What do you think the response from Subway was about this? Uh, oh boy, I'm lost, man. <laughs> Subway's bread is, of course, bread. Said the company in a, in a statement reported by NPR. We've been baking fresh bread in our restaurants for more than three decades, and our guests return each day for sandwiches made on bread. It smells as good as it tastes because it's full of sugar. Uh, I mean, I've look, I've had a Subway sandwich before. For sure. It's not, like, I don't find it offensive. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not painful to eat a Subway sandwich, but, like, they're no. a little gross. It's a little weird. It's painful to pay the money for that. It's wildly I painful. I just can't imagine being in a scenario where my best move... You know, I've gotten Subway subs a couple times here and there. You definitely... With them being open and access and being in, like, gas stations when you're traveling late at night, in that time, if you can get, like, you know, some turkey on some stuff, it's all right. But, like, as a general, like, Subway is a treat. Where should we go for lunch? Ooh, I want a sub. I just feel like people have never been to, like, a pizza place or Mellow's or wherever else you might go. Wild. Yeah, I would never get a cold cut sub from Subway because what's the point of going to a pizza place? Right. Give me a sweet onion chicken teriyaki if I'm going to go to Subway. Lean into the bullshit. Give me, like, some nonsense. Uh, all right, one mailbag question. Uh, we all know, this is, I didn't write this, this is what the mailbag question says. We all know that the best waffle is better than the best pancake. But is the worst waffle better than the worst pancake? I don't like this question. I'm just going to ask you, in order, give me French toast, waffle, French toast. pancake. French toast. French toast number one. French yep. toast number one, probably also two. Yep. Um... The best waffle is better than the best pancake. Yes. But I've had a lot. Of, a bad waffle is just stupid and horrible. I don't know if I've ever had a bad waffle. I'm talking I don't know. About it's like, hard to mess up a waffle. Is it? I'm you talking put it like in the two, thing. It's, it's, it's yeah, but, it, but if your batter is no good. If the batter is shit. Yeah, it's You know true. what I mean? Or yeah, people yeah, using yeah, like a yeah. frozen waffle, like an Eggo or something like that. Or like a store brand frozen waffle. That's... Well, Here's a dumb explain it like on five question. Uh, are is waffle batter and pancake batter the same shit? Uh, I would imagine they're probably relatively similar. Relatively I same. wouldn't be surprised if there's a bit of a difference for consistency, but I don't actually know. Yeah, I don't, I've never I've never used a waffle iron myself to make waffles. Waffles. Here's the real thing with waffles: is it just seems like more trouble than it's worth. Yes, and for what? Because if you can make good pancakes, you're you're all right. There. Probably a pain to clean that thing too. I'm saying like the waffle iron, if you got it, it's like a real specific. Well, you got to clean. You can't just toss it to the side. Like that's something you got to clean right after you're done with it. You know. What, well, what I mean? is it that um, Alton Brown used to always say? You don't want a device in the kitchen that only does one thing. A waffle iron is like a, sure. uni, a unilateral device. It's one purpose only. You don't well, want you that. can put a lot of things in there though too. I suppose. You know what I mean? Like you throw like some, throw some tater tots. Tater in there. tots. You could throw any kind of all sorts of stuff. You could waffle. They, 
the takeout has a whole series called Will It Waffle? Yeah. Where they put various <laughs> items in the waffle maker Good and stuff. see if you can make it into waffle stuffing. Stuffles? Oh, we all make that. All right. Let's get a waffle maker. Yeah, let's get a waffle maker. <laughs> but I think I, I, to really put a cap on that, French toast stands. So French, yeah, French Head toast. And shoulders above any of the breakfast starches. I think for me, I would, starches, you know I, mean? I would go French toast, waffle pancake. But there's not as big of a gap between waffle mm. and pancakes as there is between French toast and everything else. I Correct. think I'm with you on Correct. that. Correct. Yeah, pancakes are kind of slack. Yeah, I, I saw a lot of people arguing for pancake out here, and I was like, really? Well, this is, a, what are you here, fighting for? What's the, the, what's the though, point too, here? Pancakes, like you start getting into like some blueberry or something like that. Like a nice blueberry pancake with tons of blueberries yeah. in it. That kind of thing. I'm into that. When we were little kids, my, my mom, we used to go to Florida visit my aunt and uh, we would stop at the Cracker Barrel on the way down there mm-hmm. which my mom loved because you know mm-hmm. it was there was all sorts of tchotchke on one side you could yeah, buy yeah. all sorts of antiques and stuff and then of course. you get some sort of like fancy not not really fancy sure. but you could, you could get chicken fried steak or steak fried chicken yes. or chicken fried chicken or mm-hmm. uh, but they used to have uh, pecan pancakes which Ooh. I don't support Cracker Barrel but if I was at a Cracker mm-hmm. Barrel I would get those pecan pancakes well I think that's ragging. That's one of the another take with pancakes for me. Uh, a lot of places you're making your pancake too big, too big silver dollar pancake. Yo, know, it doesn't need to be at maybe not as small as like the ones when you get when you're a kid where they're so small that it's like a fucking oh, novelty I like those item. Too. Those are cool too, but I'm saying like when I need a pancake, yeah, it doesn't need to be much bigger than. They're, they're making them too big. Like, you go somewhere, they give you the whole pancake. Yeah, I'm and with it's you. the size of a whole plate. I'm with you. They're going to bring you a whole ass extra giant plate to your table, and it's just like, what do we, who needs this? Uh, you know, give me some toast. Yo, toast. Give me some toast. Had some toast this morning. It was great. Rye toast is the jam. Uh, all right, uh, that's it, folks. Spotify picks this week. Uh, I, I sent you the list, Kev. There's no um, overriding theme for me this week. I didn't come up with any themes. Uh, I have two tracks though that I'll mention. One is the new single from former Husker Du singer and guitar player Bob Mould. Mm. Uh, first album in a long time. It's called Blue Hearts. Track American Crisis. He was on Defector this week getting interviewed by Drew McGarry. He told a really amazing story about growing up in the 80s and being in Husker Du as a gay man in a time when the AIDS crisis was going on and people were telling him you know, awful things about the kind of person he was. And he was really like, you know, I looked around at the world and I was like, I never thought I'd see this again. And that's sort of what his whole new album is about. Mm-hmm. And this song, American Crisis, slaps. It's a really great song. Nice. So that's number one. And then number two is the song Let Forever Be by the Chemical Brothers, because you made a joke about the Chemical Brothers to me earlier this I week. I was laughing. I saw the songs yeah. that you added when you yeah. sent me the link for this week's playlist. That's like Chemical Brothers. I had a chuckle. Yeah, that was I had for a you. Any, tra- any tracks for you on here? Um, well, I'll tell you what. Now I'm threatening to find myself a Chemical Brothers track to match you. I like having one on the playlist every week where we match each other on something. Um, not bad. But I think uh, the two that I'm going to do, because we like to highlight two on the show, um, I'm going to add a song that I've been trying to get the band to learn. Mm. Uh, Fool in the Rain by Led Zeppelin. Mm. Underrated Led Zeppelin song. A song that they never played live. It came out too late for them. They had never really performed it live. Um if you don't if you don't know it by name, if you hear it, you're gonna know what it is. But um it's a it's a different look at a band. You know, they don't really have a lot of songs that sound like that and yeah. have that kind of feel and that rhythm to them. I like that song a lot, I'm trying to get the band to play it. Uh so that will be on there. And then also, just because I was listening to it like a nice fall evening the other night, uh you people are gonna get the full orchestral suite version of probably Paranoid Android. Hey, all right. Unless I did put that in the thing last week, so I'm changing my pick mid air. You're gonna get the full suite version uh orchestra of everything that's right place in the pyramid song. Is what you're gonna get. All right, uh shout out to Heather Wise when she's back from the wilderness, we'll let you know. Uh shout out to Luke, keep doing your thing. Uh I don't know how you have the 
the tolerance to keep doing politics. I'm already tired from just this one conversation today. Uh, follow Kevin at underscore Kevin Sullivan on Twitter. You can follow us at uh, Uticast. You can follow the show uh, on Facebook, Twitter, SoundCloud, Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Podcast, Stitcher Hive. Shout out. Uh, that's it. Sayonara, human eyes. Keep it tight. Woodstock lives. Uh, the tape machines are rolling. We are desperately out of time. Boy, election day's coming, folks. Sure Get, is. Uh, got there. Vote. Sign up, register, make sure you vote locally. Locally and regionally is the most important stuff. Your vote uh, doesn't matter as much for President of New York, but you got to vote locally and regionally. Absolutely. Stay safe out there, folks.